All right, here we go. Good morning, everybody. Happy Sunday, friends. We are continuing our Grow series today. The big idea in this series is that there are spiritual practices that we can engage in that help us follow Jesus for the long haul. And so the Grow series is about uh, hopefully giving you hope and empowerment to take these practices into your life and follow Jesus for the rest of it. In the last couple of weeks, we've heard about service and life groups as ways to follow Jesus. Jesus came to serve, and he spent most of his ministry in small group settings. And so I hope you've adopted a life of service, and I hope that you have found a life group for this semester here at River Heights Vineyard. We have 190 adults signed up for life groups. That is more than our Sunday attendance, and I am super grateful for that. It means that we're connecting as a church family, that we're investing in our love for one another and our discipleship so that we can grow in loving God and loving people and changing the world. Uh, this week, I get to talk about what I would call the first surprise practice of this series. Most of our previous messages have been on topics that someone who's not a Christian would still guess that we would preach on, prayer, prayer and worship and so forth. Um, I brought up today's topic at staff meeting, and I expected to get some pushback about whether this is something we felt really belongs in this series, and instead I got an emphatic yes, absolutely, from everybody there. Today's practice is confession. There is some history why, behind why this might be a surprise. Uh, you are probably aware that although uh, I personally would call Protestants and Catholics equally Christian, they're nonetheless pretty different from one another, <laughs> you know? And confession is one of the historical dividing lines uh, between one another. In Catholic practice, confession is a means of receiving God's grace, and you share your sins with a priest who offers you absolution, potentially gives you penance, which is good works you do in order to receive the grace you've been offered. And this is one of the things that Martin Luther and reformers who came after him objected to. They didn't believe priests were a special class of humans who could dispense grace. And so they didn't believe in confession to a priest. And they did away with the practice. And they focused instead on things like communion, prayer, preaching the Bible, and baptism. And I think they accidentally threw the baby out with the bathwater. And the Bible sure seems to agree. The Bible encourages and even commands us to confess in two directions, to God and to one another. And so first we confess to God. Let's look at 1 John 1, 8 through 10. The Bible says, if we claim to have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. Could I get an amen, second service? This is obvious, right? We all know this. Anybody here sinless? Do we have any especially arrogant teenager? you know, who like super knows that you're perfect, it's everybody else's fault. Anybody? All right, no. All right. Uh, if we confess we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves. We're not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to God, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing His word has no place in our hearts. And so this passage puts confession at the center of our faith. If we claim we have no sin, God's word is nowhere near us. And this, of course, makes total sense if you know what sin is. Sin is two things in the Bible. It's the bad things you've done, and it's every time you've ever fallen short of perfect. Could I get a hand from everyone who falls short of perfect? I'll raise two. Okay? Yes. All right. Claiming to have no sin means claiming you are perfect, and that is one of the grossest traits in a human being. Uh, just uh, in, after graduate school, I was working in tech at a university in Flagstaff, Arizona, and this 
group of people would come through with signs that said, God hates, like, slur for gay people. God hates rock and rollers. What's a rock and roller? I don't even know what that is. It's like a 50, God hates people from the 50s. I don't even understand. God hates skateboarders. God hates greedy people. God hates people who watch TV. It just had all these huge signs. They had to wear a brace to hold the sign up, right? And um, I went and decided to chat with them because I was always trying to keep them from talking to other human beings who might be, like, thinking this has something to do with Jesus, right? And to a person, they would all say to me, well, we don't sin anymore. We never sin, right? And I think that's a really good picture of what is ultimately human pride. The idea that we're perfect, that nothing about us could ever be wrong, leads to a judgmental heart right away. It leads to believing in a God who only loves perfect people like us, and there aren't very many, and so you're going to wind up protesting everybody else in short order. That kind of pride destroys our relationship with Jesus, who came in humility to serve. That's what real perfect love looks like, humility and service. And so I would guess we're all on the same page here. We confess to God that we have fallen short, and the amazing, wonderful Time and time again, thing about God is that we always receive forgiveness. The Bible says God's mercies are new every morning. And many of us in this community have put God to the test. I love talking about these passages in recovery ministry where sometimes we put God to the test twice a day for 10 years. The cool thing is, the Bible is true. God's mercy is new every morning. Every morning. Okay? And so confession to God is just honesty with God, and that's at the center of Christianity. Now, having said that, there is another direction we confess, and the Bible actually ties it pretty closely to healing. And so we're going to read from James 5, and leading up to verse 16, I want to read verses 13 to 15 so that we get an idea of the context. It says this, are any of you suffering hardships? Could I get an amen there? Amen. Many of us are suffering hardships. Well, you should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you've committed any sins, you'll be forgiven. And so this passage is a direct call to live our lives toward God. In hardship, pray to God. In joy, sing praises to God. When you have sickness, call together people who love and follow God and have them pray for you, and God will make you well. And even in, in this case, it leads to forgiveness, which I can't explain theologically, but is awesome. We want forgiveness. I've gotten to go with elders of the church and pray for and anoint sick, anoint sick people. And here's the challenging thing for me today. I'm in my 50s. I'm probably an elder of the church now. I'm pretty sure that teenage me thinks I'm dead, right? And so... We get to go pray for people sometimes, and I love praying for sick people. We, of course, don't see everyone get healed, but we definitely see more people get healed than we see when we do not pray for other people. Every now and then there's a miracle. We'll have a healing workshop this year that's about praying for people to be healed, and I encourage you to attend because I don't think we've ever done one of these workshops without a sane person raising their hand and saying, I just experienced a miracle, and so I may have jinxed it. God does not have to do what I want him to do, right? But man, we've seen a lot of miracles over the year when we get together and teach people to pray for healing, and so when that happens, I encourage you to sign up. 
And so we have this passage that is about living a God-centered life in community, and here's what it says next, verse 16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. And so this is super explicit here. Confession and healing go hand in hand. Confess your sins to each other and then pray and healing comes. That part about the earnest prayer of a righteous person uh, is, produces wonderful results. That's what I like to share. At the end of service, we have people come up here and offer to pray for you. And the Bible says that leads to healing and forgiveness and good things. And so every week, I encourage you, as it's needed, uh, come and have somebody pray for you for anything in the world. Now, notice what it says here. It says, confess your sins to each other. It doesn't say to a priest or pastor. That's a difference between Catholics and Protestants, and there's reasons why those differences happen, and I'm not here to be all critical. I'm just saying what we are shooting for here is a level of transparency and vulnerability with one another. We're called to share our secret sins, and I think that includes both sins we have committed and sins that people have committed against us. Both kinds of secret sins can bring stress and ill health, and both can be immensely freeing and healing to share with someone else, especially for the first time, especially when it's a Jesus follower who prays forgiveness. There's actually a surprising amount of research about the positive effects of sharing secrets. I like doing is this good for you into the internet as well as out of Scripture because very often reality demonstrates the truth of Scripture and it can be encouraging for us to see. And so researchers aren't studying sins. They're studying secrets that you've carried for a long time. What are those secrets? It's always something shameful, something we feel bad about, either that we've done or someone has done to us, right? And so here's what they have found happens when people share these secret, what I would call sins, right? It increases intimacy between those sharing. Rather than holding us apart from people because we don't tell them, people feel honored and people are drawn closer together when we share confession. It reduces people's experience of stress and anxiety. Those things suck. Nobody here wants more stress and anxiety in their lives. Some of you act like it, I know. Like things go wrong and maybe I act like I want some more stress and anxiety in my life once in a while. I really don't. And so the reduction of stress and anxiety is an amazing blessing. It helps people think more clearly about what they're sharing. Sometimes I have secret stuff, I wall it off, and I have lots of irrational thoughts and feelings. I pull it out into the light, and I realize those were not rational thoughts and feelings I was happening. And I begin to have a new perspective and a new kind of healing. And then couples who share secrets are likelier to be in good relationships. So what they couldn't do is tell people, go do something secret that you can't tell your spouse about, and half of you tell them and half of you don't. Let's measure it. What they did is measure couples. Have you shared with one another stuff that you carried in secret for a long time? Couples who have done that report better relationship quality than couples who haven't. And so all of these things are good things, and all of us want good things in our lives. Why do we not share our secrets? Well, I think the crushing, overwhelming reason is fear. We are afraid, either of our feelings, because we're Scandinavian and it took us a lot of emotion to just fold our arms, right? Okay, and so sometimes we're just afraid of being overwhelmed by the feelings that come with whatever it is that we're holding onto. 
Sometimes we're afraid of consequences or judgment. If I share, terrible things will happen. Someone will know me and talk to me every week. I mean, whatever it is that you're afraid of, a lot of times it's much worse stuff than that. And fear has an evil sidekick, shame. Shame is the feeling that because of what happened, because of what I did, I'm bad. And if anyone founds out, they'd know I'm bad, right? And so even the researchers who study this stuff note, it is important to choose someone you trust to share with. You are vulnerable when you have been carrying powerful feelings and experiences around. Very often they come from childhood if it's stuff you've never told anyone. You're vulnerable when you share these things. And so you want to share them with someone you respect and trust. I'm sure that this is part of why the Catholic Church reserves confession for priests. But again, it says, confess your sins one to another. And so I am not at all suggesting you choose a random person and who, even if they follow Jesus, and then just like dump everything out of the bottom of your heart into their lap. What I encourage you to do is choose someone you respect and trust. And I do encourage you to choose a Christian because Christianity is built on forgiveness at its core. And that's what the Bible says is confess your sins one to another that's within the family of faith. Jesus came to forgive. And when we pray the Lord's Prayer, which most of us do in the Christian faith, we pray, God, forgive us as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us, right? And so Christianity is a training ground for forgiveness, and that's why I think one of the best things you can do is choose a Christian to confess to. And that helps reduce your fear. When you think about a good person, I think especially a person who you know is transparent with other people, I think that can help you relax. Uh, you all would be surprised how often people choose to do confession with a pastor. I mean, I have been working in the lobby after church, after the sermon, and had someone come up and tell me they murdered a person and never got caught for it, you know, twice. Uh, people, for whatever reason, um, know that when we get close to God, the stuff that we're carrying is killing us. I think it's actually God who highlights those things in our heart. And so I think Sundays are a time where people are especially primed to reflect upon and remember this stuff I'm carrying. For some reason, when I think about being with God, it comes up. That's because God wants to help you let it come out. And so I want you to know there are people, including every one of us on staff here, who would hear your confession in this church. If you need a safe person to share with something that you've done or something that's been done to you, all of our pastoral staff is available, and I'm pretty sure every life group leader is available, and I would guess about a third of the life groups you attend are made up of people that you could faithfully share literally anything with. And there's healing in sharing. A lot of times, sharing comes with a spiritual breakthrough so powerful that it even brings healing to your body. And so we've seen in the vineyard a ton of people's chronic pain disappear when they share something for the first time whether sin's done or sin's done against you. One of my favorite verses we use in Celebrate Recovery, which is our Jesus-centered 12-step program that meets here on Tuesdays at 645 and is the best meeting. It is the best meeting. One of the verses we use with each other is Jeremiah 614 from the Living Bible. You can't heal a wound by saying it's not there. It doesn't work. It gets worse. It gets infected. It becomes gross. And so sometimes we're just like, I have teenagers. I'm not going to use any of their names, but it's like, I'm fine. Has anybody ever seen that? 
You're very clearly radiating unfineness. But you're fine. Why do you ask, Dad? Oh, because I wanted to be attacked in a hostile manner by a courtroom lawyer. I just felt like that would be fun today. No, because you're not fine, you know, right? And so I like this verse because it points out the ridiculousness of carrying wounds around and pretending that they don't hurt, that they're not really alive things that are inside of us. Our recovery ministries where I've done the most work on secrets, I'm a, I'm a really open person. I'm willing to answer just about anything with anyone. But in the 12 steps, we're really deeply intentional about secrets. And so listen, this is going to blow your mind if you haven't heard it before. In Celebrate Recovery, we write a list of every good and bad thing we've ever done and every good and bad thing anyone's ever done to us. And then we share it out loud with a human. It is an amazing process and it takes a long time. I've had friends, we've used the Narcotics Anonymous version of it. It has 312 questions. In eighth grade, did you blank? 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 Did you have any issues around blank? Fill in the blank, right? Very powerful process to do with someone. And in the step groups I've been in, we've done it with a small group of guys. There are, our stuff's gender, you know, separated. And so I've done this with groups of guys like five times. There's a reason this is a part of something like recovery that's really seeking spiritual healing for its members. And there's a saying that, that demonstrates what it's about. You're only as sick as your secrets. That's one of those common recovery sentences. The recovery community knows there is a link between your spiritual, relational, and physical health and the stuff that you keep balled up inside. There is very little as powerful for your Christian walk as regularly confessing the day-to-day -day stuff that can become a secret if you don't let it into the light. There are two kinds of sins we tend to keep secret. There's the big stuff and the ongoing stuff that's like still relevant. Both of those we have a powerful urge not to let anybody know. The big stuff's the terrible things you've done or been done to you. Those sins are death. Keeping them to yourself can feel like you're exercising control or power over them, but what's actually happening is that you're dying. You're making sure that the painful stuff stays near and dear to your heart for the rest of your life. I know this personally because I had big stuff I carried for a lot of years. My upbringing included some pretty serious abuse that nobody knew about. It occurred to me to my adulthood that I don't think my dad knew, you know, what was happening when he was not home. And I responded to that abuse by hating. I spent a ton of time just laying down in my room at a very young age, nine and up, just hating. And after I moved out, I started doing that less. But I am never going to forget what it was like to share how that wound up being my life with another living human being. I had this girlfriend, and uh, she got real quiet one night and said she had some secrets and she couldn't tell anyone. And I said, if you can't tell me, you should tell a counselor. And she said, well, I'll only go if you go. And I said, oh, honey, I'll go for you. I'll go because you need a counselor, right? I'm cutting myself for fun at this time. I got more problems that you can imagine, but I'm going for you, honey. And so we started seeing a counselor, and the counselor was compassionate and kind and Christian and wonderful. And uh, toward the end of, I don't know, four or five sessions, I asked if I could meet with her personally, and I told her about all the hate and anger and abuse that I had been through. And the relief was unbelievable. It was very much easier to live after that. At this time, I had been struggling with irritable bowel syndrome for two years, just like searing gut pain that would leave me unable to function once in a while. And I had been cutting on myself and engaged in self-harm semi-regularly for quite a while as well. 
Both of those immediately went away. I didn't realize about the irritable bowel syndrome until I was talking about this message, and I was like, hey, that's, that's when my stuff went away. It's like confession and healing maybe go hand to hand or something, right? So if you're carrying any big deal stuff, whether from your childhood or from the more recent past, I want to encourage you, get it into the open with someone you trust as soon as you can. Find a Christian to listen and forgive and make an appointment. If you're just holding out for the hope that it will come out while you're bowling or something, like the opportunity is not likely to all of a sudden show up. It could happen. But make an appointment with someone that you respect and love and trust. Maybe over coffee or maybe just make them a grilled cheese and have them over for lunch. Let God's light into every corner of your heart, into every story that you've been through and participated in, and then receive whatever healing God has for you. And so the big stuff is one kind of sin we hide. Then there's the ongoing stuff, sins that we struggle with and they don't seem to go away. I have very much benefited from having Christian friends I can check in with about these things and they can check in with me too. I appreciate being able to share my day-to-day struggles with someone because the cool thing, when you share joy, it's doubled. When you share pain and challenges, it's halved. Maybe not half, but it's really made easier by sharing it with other people. And I love it when friends are able to share with me because I get to encourage them or remind them that they are forgiven in Christ or whatever God gives me in the moment to share. So being in a recovery for 10 years was a tremendous gift. I started it despite not wanting to. You know, I got sober by miracle, and I don't know how to do miracles for people. I was like, well, how can I run a recovery ministry? I can't be all like zap, you know? I don't know how to do that. And John uh, Marsden and the Lord God convinced me to start Celebrate Recovery here many years ago. And for 10 years, I was always in a group where we checked in with each other. And in recovery, we know when we check in with each other, it's not, hey, how are you doing? Fine. Well, what do you mean fine? How are you doing with the five things you talk about struggling with all the time? You know, mostly good, but some not good in a couple spots. Tell us more, you know, like you really check in with each other. And so for 10 years, it was very easy to confess any sins that I needed to share, done to me or done by me. After leaving CR, it takes more effort. But you learn, and I have deeply learned the importance of confession. And so I've got friends that I share my struggles with, period. And I am super grateful that I do not have to carry my sins and sins done against me in secret. I am glad I got someone to share with. And I actually do this with the staff and the council and our retired pastors, John and Sue Marston. If I screw up real bad, I talk to John and Sue, you know, like the lead pastors who founded this church. Uh, Because they actually follow Jesus and they're amazing human beings. And there's a lot of power and authority in the forgiveness you receive in confessing to other people. And they're helpful, you know? And so that's part of my accountability to the church, but it's just part of my ability to follow God. I'm so grateful for Pastor Justin and Pastor Gay and Curtis and all the other people that I have been able to confess my sins to. Um, I did some reflecting on the value of confession for my life. There's the benefits I put up for you before that have been studied scientifically. I want to give you three blessings that I have received out of living a life of regular confession. The first blessing is transformation. When you know God loves you after all the bad things you do are on the table, You know God loves all of who you are, not just while you're doing good, not just if you're doing good. When I gave my life over to God, I was going to commit suicide. I was going through uh, drug addiction. It was all terrible. God showed up in my room and saved my life. And I couldn't talk to anyone for six months. I just walked around, went to work, walked home, rollerbladed to work, rollerbladed home. 
And uh, for, I think it was at least three weeks, maybe four weeks, I went through this period of confessing all my sins. Like one day I was walking, I just felt like telling God all the terrible stuff I did in second grade. And it's a list. I got in trouble a lot as a kid. I had a fire starters club. I mean, I was bad. I was a terrible, terrible, terrible kid. No one who meets me, who knew me as a kid, like can believe that I am a pastor. So there's hope for you parents who have one of these in your house. There's hope. Okay, so, um, so I just started talking to God about like, oh, God, I was so mean. I did so many terrible things. Here's some examples. I feel real bad. And then I would start to feel better and like, I don't know, feel better. And then I was like, you know, when I got older, I was still pretty awful. And I would start telling Dad about God about the bad stuff I did late elementary school. And then junior high, that took forever. High school, wow, that took a long time telling God all the stuff I'd done. And up into a young adulthood, I realized, oh, I'm still screwed up. Sorry, God. I can't talk to anybody. I'm not doing anything. It's hard, you know. When you experience God's forgiveness in the middle of your worst stuff, it helps you know with your heart, with your stomach, with your belly that God actually loves all of you, all of you, all the time. You don't have to be like, well, maybe it's just because I'm doing good right now. Maybe it's the fake me that God loves. Maybe I'm fooling everybody. Confession to God's helped me realize the depths of God's love, and that's helped me live differently and freely. The second blessing of confession is freedom. I am no longer afraid that my faults and failings make me unlovable. Yes, like all human beings, I have my moments of insecurity. This is the thing that's going to cause everyone to not love me forever from now on. Of course, I have those feelings once in a while. But you know what? I can then turn on my brain and go, man, I've shared worse stuff with my friends, with pastors, with Christian leaders, with Christian followers, with random people. Uh, and you know what? Um, this does not make me unlovable. And I've heard other people share really, really terrible things with me. And I know for a fact that God loves them. And there's a freedom that comes with that. I can be myself. I can live as I am. I can trust that there's God and people who can handle all of it. And I do not have to carry around the weight and the burden of the bad stuff by myself. The last blessing of confession that I've experienced is integrity. There was a time in my life, especially in my teens and young adulthood, I only wanted people to know the good things about me or the cool things about me. There weren't any, but I thought there were the cool things about me. And so I only shared what I thought would give people a good image of me. And I think that makes you less believable, less trustworthy to other human beings. Now I regularly practice sharing the good and bad things about myself, and I think that is part of why people trust me now. When you're honest with your failings and flaws, people see that your honesty goes into the hard things as well as the easy things. And they have a tendency to believe you when hard things come up and you share difficult truth because they've seen that you practice that in your life across the board. And so that kind of integrity has helped me have closer relationships at home with my kids, at work, with coworkers and volunteers and with friends. And so please hear, I do want to encourage you, if you have past or present sins that you have done or that someone has done to you that you have never let into the light, find someone to share them with. Now, the five people who came up to pray first service were like, not many people came up at first. Let me be clear. 
It does not mean you're coming up to confess some wild, crazy sins if you come up for prayer today, okay? Just relax. There'll be some people to pray for you, and most of us do not have those kind of things to come up for. But we are going to offer to pray for you. We are going to offer to pray that God would bring you someone where you would feel free to share if that's something that you want prayer for. If you want a specific pastor to reach out to you, just put it down on your connection card, and any one of us would be glad to meet with you. Join a life group. See if God has someone for you there. You can also pray and ask God to make you ready, but don't just pray once and then give up looking. Pray and ask God to bring someone into your life that you can do this with, and then keep on praying and keep on looking until it happens. Do not let years go by with secrets that make you sick. Embrace God's call to confession. Let the light of God into your heart and find the feeling and healing and freedom that it brings. I want to invite the worship team back up here, and I invite you to stand as you are able. I have some tips for you for putting the Word of God into practice as we have received it this week. Tip number one this week, read James 5. The Bible has mystical, difficult-to-understand stuff. James has none of that. James is very practical, very clear, and talks real powerfully about confession. Tip number two, pray for the blessings of confession. Pray for the good things that come with confession. The Bible includes lots of, hey, do this, and here's the good that will happen, because God wants the good things to motivate you. And pray for the good things of confession. And then number three, let someone hear your confession. Proverbs 28:13 says, people who conceal their sins will not prosper, but if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. God's mercy, which is new every morning, every time, is for you today, every day this week, and ongoing. So if you're on the prayer team, now would be a great time to come up here. I will lead us in prayer as we transition to our newly longer back half of the service. We're test driving for a month, three songs at the end instead of three songs at the beginning, and communion will happen shortly. So God, uh, thank you so much for... I mean, I guess number one, loving us and caring for us all the way down. Thank you for being a safe place for us to share all the stuff from our heart. I pray if anyone here, God, is burdened by something they haven't been able to share with anyone, that you would give them the freedom to share with you first, to receive your love and your light and your forgiveness in their heart as they share. And I pray that you would let everyone in this building, God, know the depths and the length and the height and the width of your love. And then we also thank you, God, for calling us into a kind of relationship that is new and deeper and more vulnerable and more real and more true um, than we would have without confession. I thank you for calling us as a church to hear one another's uh, secret stuff and to care for each other and to pray for healing for each other and to be transformed. And I pray, God, that you would make us a people who are able to do this, to confess the big stuff and the day-to-day stuff and to be healed to speak words of blessing after we hear, to welcome people in, with open arms. We got a lot going on here as a people, God. We pray that you would meet us in our challenges and that you would receive praise and glory for everything we are grateful for. Be with us as we continue our service, God. Amen. Uh, we'll have our songs and communion. The worship team will let us know when the service is over. If you're visiting, I'd love to meet you at the Welcome Center. God bless you.